the students of 2010, my brothers and sisters in Christ. In an academic environment like Tyndale, we simply take for granted that the basis of a sound education is the ability to read and to write. John the Seer of the Book of Revelation, in a culture that could not rely on widespread literacy to disseminate wisdom and tradition, expected and relied upon the ability of the recipients to hear and to see if they're going to be well educated. Today, when we think of teaching and learning, we are a culture shaped by books. Our currency is the learned essay and monographs. As children of Gutenberg, the libraries are natural habitat. We trace some of our educational heritage to the Renaissance with the reassertion of the importance of studying classical texts in the original language. Our way of conceptualizing the accurate transmission of information is determined by the literary paradigm. In the first century world of Asia Minor, the time of the Book of Revelation, when literary documents were subject to second orality, that is, when written texts were known only through the oral performance of the text, memories were trained to retain, skills were honed to ensure preservation of tradition. In a word, the people of the culture were challenged to hear and to see. At Tyndale, we wish to foster a good education that is subject to the journey of faith, an education that analyzes culture and speaks to the culture, doesn't simply buckle to the culture or mimic the culture. John in Revelation was committed to encouraging the journey of faith in the communities of Asia Minor and the seven churches, some who were suffering under the pressures of the Roman Empire and were wondering about the hope of his coming, and some who were already compromising with the culture and the values of the empire, influenced by the good life and by bad theology. The non-negotiable for John was the developing ability to hear and to see. He begins by declaring that his communication was a revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who is both the source of the revelation and the subject of the unveiling. This revelation was to be shown to God's servants. It comes in the form of visions and symbols. He encourages his, his recipients with the first of seven Beatitudes. When he says, blessed is the one who reads, presumably because somebody could. And blessed are the ones who hear, which they were all expected to do. The words of the prophecy and who obey the things which are written in it. And then beginning boldly in chapter 1, and gaining momentum through 22 chapters, John of Revelation obediently writes what he sees. The constant tension of his visionary presentation is the interplay between hearing and seeing, and that which they reveal. Revelation gives us the last word on Jesus Christ. And God concludes his written word with a comprehensive and consuming presentation of the magnificence and rulership of his Son. And throughout John's pastoral presentation, Jesus is unveiled, as John regularly says, I heard and then I saw. John is made known, or has made known, the implications of Jesus in all his kingly glory and grace. And the presentation that John speaks to decries and destroys all thoughts unworthy of Jesus. He appeals to his fears, imaginations, and he does so to ours as well and declares that a sound education and a journey of faith 
is anchored in one's ability to hear and to see, focusing our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. John, the aged apostle, has been in voluntary political exile on the Isle of Patmos. In his own words, he says, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that rocky stake of Patmos was the foundation for a revelation that, if obeyed, renders blessing. He didn't give his ears a prophetic jigsaw written to be solved by the terminal generation of Christians. Every word, every symbol encouraged, prepared communities of faith in Asia Minor to hear amidst the cacophony of voices of the Roman Empire and to see in the dark haze of bombarded hostile images. John gives to you graduates of 2010 as you face known and unknown futures. A clear word to hear and a clear image to see. John Stock perceptively said that we do not need a detailed forecast of future events, which has to be laboriously deciphered, but rather a vision of Jesus Christ to cheer the faint and encourage the weary. John's desire is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to stimulate our faithfulness in the present. To hear and to see John's Jesus is to have hope, the joyful anticipation of the future. John describes this Jesus that he knows as the kings of the kings of the earth. Caesar is not Lord, he says, Jesus is Lord. It's this Jesus that speaks to John with trumpet-like clarity and instructs John, write what you see. John hears and then he turns to see. Who is the one speaking to him? The aged apostle's eyes become young with eternity, and he saw as he never saw before. He's overwhelmed with magnificent sights and sounds. It's a gamble to ask an audience like this to close their eyes for fear that they might not open them again. But in thinking that through, I realized that I took that chance with most of the graduates in my class. You did not disappoint. Eventually, your eyes open again. John gives the introductory lens through which to see everything else that will follow. John needed to get this vision right. So I ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Hear the words and see with your imagination the images. Please do that. I turned around to see the voice that, I was, that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His face was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. If you'd open your eyes, please. This is the same Jesus, portrayed in the Gospels. But how different a picture. This is the picture of majesty that John has captivated. And what captivated him, first of all, that this Jesus is standing in the midst of his people. Wherever you are on the journey of faith, the future is presented in a way where you're never absent because the King is present. He is with us 
and he is for us. John described Jesus in rich imagery. And the symbolism is not meant to be painted. It is symbolism that is meant to be pondered. The beloved apostle's heart is filled with Old Testament revelation and Old Testament echoes. There's a whole understanding of the Messianic tradition built into the spots. Someone else, much smarter than I, has figured out that of the 404 verses of the book of Revelation, 278 of them contain at least one allusion to an Old Testament passage. What that means to me is that John does not use code language. The only code language in his revelation is the Old Testament scriptures themselves. The Son of Man in John's vision is none other than a glorious persona described by the same name in Daniel chapter 7. Deliverance from the Babylonian captivity and return from exile was just a foreshadowing of the deliverance from sin and the new exodus that Jesus would win for his people. John sees Jesus clothed with the robe and golden sash of the king. Jesus, who we described in chapter 17 and again in 19 as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, O Lord God the Almighty, King of the nations, he addresses in the Song of Moses in Revelation 15. Here is Jesus who speaks with royal authority. The white hair adorning his head is not an expression of age, but of wisdom and of the respect due him. It is none other than Daniel's ancient of days. The image of the penetrating scrutiny of our Lord is symbolized by the eyes of blazing fire. His stability and strength are emphasized by his feet like glowing brass. Thomas Howard, in his interesting book called Christ the Tiger, observes that this is not a pale Galilean, but a towering, furious figure who will not be managed. John describes the voice he hears as having the might and authority of rushing waters, an image he draws right from the prophecy of Ezekiel to describe the voice of God. In John's right hand, the hand of authority are the seven stars. John tells us that seven stars represent the angels or messengers of the churches. And once again, we are given a picture of the involvement and care that our Lord gives to his people. The double-edged sword that issues from his mouth is a certain metaphor that Jesus' words are true and they're powerful. He speaks grace to his people and destruction to his enemies. This comes full flower in the scene of the last battle in the book of Revelation chapter 19. There Jesus himself is called the faithful and true. And he has a name written on him, and that name is the Word of God. Lastly, the face of Jesus, seeing all of its overwhelming brilliance. Shine, Jesus shine like the sun, and his glory shines forth. Given that full revelation of the glorified sun, John appropriately becomes unglued. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now you have to remember who this is. This is John. John is one of the sons of thunder. In the Gospels, he had the temerity to tell Jesus to rain down fire and brimstone in the cities that had resisted him. This is John who once argued whether he would sit at Jesus' right or left hand in glory. Something tremendous has happened. This transforming encounter with the kingly majesty of our Lord, John hears and John sees. That's a real education. Where such reverence and awe for the Lord Jesus defines it. And we should long for the humble willingness to learn, to submit, to be corrected, to hear, and to see. 
The purpose of the vision in Revelation 1 was not to leave John as a dead man, but to bring fresh life to his whole being, to give him the assurance and the hope as he confronts the crisis of his day. Until we have heard Jesus like that, until we have seen Jesus like that, our education is far from complete. Notice, please, that the hand of grace touches John and says reassuringly, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Don't be afraid. It's a refrain, a refrain that will echo throughout the book of Revelation. John will need it. It too will be a necessary part of your ongoing adventure of hearing and seeing. Jesus is the king who died and made him conquer death through his resurrection. And he's forever the living one, the living sovereign. He holds the keys of death and Hades, and his final manifestation of kingly glory will be seen in Revelation 20 when he casts death and Hades themselves into the lake of destruction. Now, the visions that God gives John are sufficient, but they're partial. We hear today and we see today partially, but we await a day when we will know fully. But we wait, and we wait with confidence, we wait with hope, because of Jesus our Lord who reigns, and before whom one day every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God. Here's John. He is close to the end of his adventure. He's close to the end of his earthly education and journey of faith. He described in exalted terms that defy our imagination the person of Jesus Christ. Here is John who began his education in following Jesus out of curiosity, who is now supremely caught up with the majestic, regal greatness of Jesus. The privilege is ours to hear and to see this Jesus. This portrait of Jesus is sure and clear, not hard to understand, but impossible to forget. You know, I'm sure that John found human language so impotent for this descriptive task. You see him in Revelation reaching out for all sorts of symbols and pictures to try to convey the full reality of Jesus. John is convinced that the hearing and seeing he has left us, in words that still bear in their grammar the traces of the mighty visionary impact, bear to us a sacramental picture of the eternal Son who transcends all pictures and all symbols and all practice in his kingdom. To the graduates of 2010, keep on developing your skills of reading and writing, but above all, from this blinding reality, hear and see this Jesus. Hear and see in the unveiled richness of his kingly glory and not only will you be involved in continuing to build on a good education, but it will be an adventure from which you will never, never depart. That is our prayer for you. Amen. Amen.